Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 87 of Conquering Columbus. Today, our guest is Ken Gold, CEO of Skilkin Gold. And Ken just got done with a couple of interviews with CNBC and the Wall Street Journal. And we were lucky enough to grab him for 45 minutes to talk everything from real estate to e-commerce and more. We really think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, and you're definitely going to learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, we are very excited to have Ken Gold. And Ken is the CEO of Skilkin Gold. And Ken has more than 35 years of real estate development and brokerage experience. And in that time, he's built a reputation as a real estate development professional who brings something different to the table, creative solutions and uncompromising integrity. Skilkin Gold is a Columbus-based real estate company working with large brands on a national scale, such as Kroger, CVS, Walmart, and Publix. And Ken has also been the director of the Real Estate Center at Ohio State for eight years, and he currently teaches the Capstone Real Estate class for second-year MBAs at Ohio State. Uh, we're really excited to have him on the show today, and welcome to Conquering Columbus, Ken. Thank you. Glad to be here. So how's your day going? We talked a little bit earlier. You said you got, uh, so, you know, being in real estate development, you have your ups and your downs, and right now you guys are at your ups. So um, what's going right? Well, good, good question. You know, the one thing about our industry that's constant is change. 
So you got to be ready for change, and change, hap change happens uh, every minute of every day. So, you know, we started out on a down note today where, you know, somebody we're trying to buy uh, some property from decided to sell it to somebody else, and that never feels good. Uh, so by the end of the day, we kind of reached deep in our pocket and found a lot of good friends, and we, we turned the table, and now we have that piece of property under contract. So it was down to begin with, but now we're on a high note, and I'm glad on a high note because I'm a lot easier to talk to when I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah, and we're glad you're on a high note as well, but uh, I'm kind of curious, I mean, if you can, can we go a little deeper into kind of like, without naming any names, that process of flipping that? during the day? Oh, well, you know, again, a lot of it is, is our special sauce. And, you know, you can see uh, I've been around for a while and we have a lot of relationships and it's very hard for us to uh, hear the answer no. So when we hear the answer no, our team uh, gets together and we uh, put our heads together and we figure out solutions to issues and problems that uh, that we see which are different every single day and every single development opportunity and uh, at least today we found somebody uh, that we know very well that happens to have some influence over the the property owner and talk some sense in them and now they have decided to go with the right developer instead of the, the other guy yeah, relationships are always good um, I think a good place maybe to kick it back and kind of dive into how those began to form for you guys is talk about maybe your earlier days um, growing up, college, and then, you know, how you eventually got involved in real estate. And maybe we can just start that back at, you know, the earlier part that you want. Sure. You know, it, it's, uh, it's a fun story. Uh, I've never lived any place but Columbus, Ohio. I'm 63 years old, and I've seen some uh, great changes that have happened here. But uh, it all started very early when my grandmother came from Russia in the 1930s. Uh, we called her Rosie Gold. And we called her Rosie O'Grady. Her last name was Gold, of course. And uh, she was one of 11 siblings that all lived here in Columbus. And she moved here before my grandfather did. They were married in Russia. And she came in the 30s. And as a young woman, she was quite the entrepreneur she started a business here called Gold's Department Store. And the building still exists on Grant and Long. And it brings back wonderful memories to me because I grew up in that store and the second store, which was over at Ohio and Livingston. So my background really started because of my grandmother's interest in retail and in owning our own buildings. So there's not many people that can say that their four foot 11 grandmother really set the pace and the direction for not only her family, but for my family and now my children and my grandchildren. So it's quite exciting. So we've been in Columbus a long time, uh, grew up in Bexley, went to Bexley High School. And uh, at that time, my parents said to me as I was thinking about colleges, they said, you have one choice. It's that small school on High Street. It's called <laughs> Ohio State University. So off I went. I packed my bags and didn't have to travel very far. And as we were talking before, I started out in pharmacy school because my, uh, my grandfather was a pharmacist, my, my father was a pharmacist, my brother is a pharmacist, 
And my aunt was the first woman who graduated from pharmacy school at Ohio State University. So there's some real great, you know, uh, history about Ohio State. So I started in, in pharmacy, decided that wasn't for me, then went to engineering school, decided that wasn't for me, and then I ended up in business school at Haggerty Hall, and I graduated with my undergraduate degree in 1979. And at that point in time, I decided that I needed more education, and my wife and I at that point in time got married young. My wife, you know, and I said, well, you better go on and get your master's degree in, in business. So I went on and got a master's degree in real estate and finance. And the rest is history. I was, uh, I graduated and I was so excited because there was this great company here in Columbus, Ohio by the name of The Limited. <laughs> and my whole background was retail and I was graduating in real estate and finance so I decided that I wanted to go work there. And about three months before I was supposed to start at the Limited, my father-in-law, Lee Skilkin, put his arm around me and said, son, uh, I've got an opportunity to talk to you about. Let me tell you about what I do. And that's when real estate became a, a major part in, in, my, uh, in my life. And I went to work for, at that time, it was called Skilkin Properties. And they had offices over on Hamilton Park and Broad Street. And when I came to work there, I was 22 years old. And I brought the average age of the employees down to 72. <laughs> so there was not a lot of mentors. There's not a lot of uh, history that really helped me uh, carved the path that we've carved today, but that's how I got started, and uh, you know, it's been a great, great, great career. And what did that path look like unfolding when you showed up at 22? Um, do you remember what your earlier roles were and kind of how that path evolved as you moved throughout the company and your career progressed? Absolutely. I was this cocky, recent graduate with my master's degree, and I walk in, and there were all of these Hmm. mature people around me looking at me and saying, what is this young kid doing here? And to be honest with you, I had no idea. And uh, at that point in time, it was the, you know, the, the new kid on the block, a family member, and the goal was to learn everything about the real estate development business. So I had to learn how to fix uh, parking lots, I had to learn how to repair leaks in roofs. I had to learn how to lease an empty storeroom. I had to learn how to mix paint to strike parking lots. Uh, I had to go to banks and ask for money. So it was the absolute best education that anybody could have asked for. Being new and young and passionate about learning. So really at that point in time, I was working with my father-in-law, I was working with my grandfather-in-law, and these old-timers that were sitting there trying to teach me this new industry that I knew nothing about, which was retail real estate development. And I'm kind of curious about how your master's helped in this situation, because I, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, 
you know, wait a little bit to go to get your master's, and then you'll be able to apply it to what you're doing currently while you learn. But with the master's in real estate and finance, how did that experience help you learn quicker? Or did it do anything for you as in terms of uh, learning the real estate, the retail real estate environment? Good question. Uh, you know, as a, uh, an adjunct professor at Ohio State, I get a lot of undergraduate students, especially when I was the director of the real estate center, come to me and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about getting my MBA or master's, what do you think? Do I need it? When do I do it? And, uh, you know, most of the time when someone comes to me before they've gone into uh, business school undergrad, I tell them to go get a liberal arts degree. Go get a broad education without concentrating too much in one area or the other, and then go on and get your MBA or master's in business. Most of the time, when you get an undergraduate degree in business, uh, I agree with you. It's a good idea to go out, get a job, look for you know, the right boss to work, work with as truly a mentor and a teacher, and then go back after you have a better sense of what you're passionate about and interested in. However, if you choose to go right away, that's not a mistake. That's, that can be very positive also. Because again, what we all know is that whatever you learn in school is not 100% applicable to, to wherever you go. But what you're learning at school are the tools, right? To really help you learn you know, a trade and create a career. And again, what I tell my students is that that first job is more about who your boss is going to be than what the industry is, what, wh where you're working, how big the office is, how small the office is, because that first boss is like a teacher. And if you have the right first boss, you're going to accelerate your career you know, in, in ways that you couldn't if you, you really made a, a bad decision as to where to start to work. So what point did Skilkin Properties, is that what it was called, correct at the time? Well, originally it was called, yes. There was Skilkin Brothers and Skilkin Properties, then Skilkin. Now we've rebranded it Skilkin Gold. And at what process did that transition, that rebranding happen? It just happened here in this last year. Okay. Uh, my, uh, my partner of 35 years, my father-in-law, Lee Skilkin, uh, seven years ago, he died. And Lee was an old school guy, very traditional in his ways, and he basically ran things the way he wanted to run things. Very traditional shop of, you know, developing shopping centers, managing shopping centers, and, um, you know, owning things for a long period of time. And then he died. And uh, I was the only family member, and now it was my company. And then, right after he died, my wife, Toby Skilkin Gold, decided that she wanted to come into the business. And with open arms, I said, please come into the business, because Toby's background is very much in terms of uh, organizational uh, structure, behavior, planning, and that was something that we needed because you know in the world that we live in retail as we all know is changing so we couldn't think about being the same developer as we've always been so we needed to really look deep and look outward and be a visionary as to where we wanted to go in business 
So Toby really was instrumental in helping us to reboot and restructure our company to create systems and goals like we've never had before and to allow me, as she likes to put it, to go out and play in my sandbox. Because I used to do things like we all have to do in terms of management and HR and financing, but what I'm really good at is creating relationships and building you know, on old relationships and creating opportunities. So Toby has really created a wonderful new direction, a new company, and allowing me to go out and do things differently than we've ever done before. And then three years ago, Isaac Gold comes into the business, which is fourth generation, you know, Skilkin coming into the business, and he's just kicking it out, you know, he's hitting it out of the park. Uh, he's a real estate manager, uh, you know, young, aggressive, passionate, and really now leading the way in terms of uh, new business and taking care of clients. And so I'm having a blast. And so the, the sequence was, uh, was very interesting. And now we're, we're focused in a very different place than we've ever been before. Before we dive too much into, you know, what you guys got going on today, is there anything missing in your personal story from that point at 22 to the point where you became a partner? Was it just growth and development and mentorship from your father-in-law throughout the entire process? Um, were there any significant things, ups or downs, that really stick out to you that kind of helped you grow? Or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my father-in-law was an engineer. He, was a, he owned a, a general contracting business, and he really didn't understand completely real estate development, especially retail development. So I really came into a company that was made up of a bunch of builders and not planners, and no one really with a retail background or knowledge of retail. So very quickly, I saw the opportunity to take my background and expertise in retail and really go out to um, old relationships that Skilkin had had, but really never uh, nurtured and mentored and grew. So, uh, you know, at, at a very early age, I was calling on clients like Kroger and Kmart and Woolworth and all of those that hadn't been called on before because they didn't know how to talk retail. So I was able to talk retail and very quickly gained relationships uh, with, you know, with the Kroger company, which was the first one. Uh, today, we, uh, today we are celebrating 70 years of doing business with the Kroger company. So very quickly I made my mark and my expertise was more from a retail background. And very quickly, my father-in-law, who really couldn't teach me the development business because he was a contractor and he didn't know anything about retail, I really went outside of the Skilkin family to find mentors in the industry all over the country that helped teach me how to be the best developer we could be. Jim Rouse, I don't know if that name rings a bell or not, he was the uh, forefathers uh, of urban development. Faneuil Hall in Boston, uh, Columbia uh, in Maryland, it, you know, like the New Albany of Maryland. He was the first one that created his own community. Well, Jim Rouse went throughout the country, this was 30 years ago, and he handpicked 10 future developers, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. 
And to this day, I still keep in touch with the other nine that went uh, on this program with Jim. I mean, can, you know, can you imagine the forefather of urban development and to be able to spend a week with him, you know, at age 26? So it was pretty fascinating. So yes, um, I had to search uh, mentors and uh, in the industry, and I learned a lot. And with that knowledge, I was able to come back and really create something very special within Skilkin. And at that point in time, my fa father-in-law and my grandfather recognized that they better take good care of me so I don't go someplace else. So they started be, uh, allowing me or giving me partnership shares of everything we did. So you know, at age 28, I was starting to become a partner in development deals. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a really good point that a lot of people our age particularly miss is that you know, everyone knows networking is important, but I think a lot of times we focus too much on networking with people that are our peers and the same age and in the same areas and not enough time focusing on finding mentors that we're going to help you develop as you grow older. But I think what I'm most interested in this point is in that amount of time, 35 years, retail and real estate have to change a lot. I mean, you just talked about how they're changing constantly now. So how did the real estate and the retail real estate specifically markets change from the time you first joined Skilk and Gold till now? Well, you know, real estate, uh, retail development has uh, everything to do with where houses get built, right? So, you know, even in, in your lifetime, you've seen a change. You've seen the, you know, in, in the beginning, uh, suburbs were, you know, the thing. You know, everybody wanted to build out uh, in Westerville, Gahanna, you know, New Albany, you name it. So the, the suburban population was expanding dramatically in single family homes. Not necessarily apartments, but single-family homes. Everybody wanted to have a single-family home. So the more homes that were built and people lived in certain areas, they needed amenities. So it wasn't that difficult to recognize where to place a shopping center that had a supermarket and a drugstore, right? So the world was all about anticipating where housing was going to be built. And then you bring in the goods and services. So the evolution of housing, you know, stop and think about what's going on. So suburbs were strong for a long time. And suburbs were created because transportation and, and roads and highways were created. So people went from downtowns to the suburbs because now there's cars and there's buses and there's roads uh, and, you know, it works. Well, if you look at what's happened now, People are saying, hmm, do I really want to be that far away from where I work? Do I really want to be that far away from where all the action is? So when you take a look at urban areas today, and Columbus is just a phenomenal example of it, right? I mean, if you look at the evolution of the short north and downtown and the brewery district, now Franklinton coming on, look at Ohio State University where we all, you know, spend a lot of time there. I mean, you're seeing this tremendous change that's going on as to where people live. So if people are going to now live more urban, what do we need to do in terms of retail development? We have to look at what does retail development look like 
to make sure that we service the people who are living in urban areas. So you can't build a big shopping center, right? Because, you know, it's expensive and there's not enough land and it just doesn't work there. So what you're seeing happening is that you're seeing mixed use developments going on. So mixed use developments really have both residential and retail and office could have hotels, and we're starting to see that kind of development happen, not only in Columbus, but all over the country. So the evolution of, of retail was, you know, go out in the, in the burbs, go off the highways, you know, the Polarises of the world, bigger is better. Well, today, not so much, right? So people really want things um, closer to where they live and they work, you know, convenience becomes much more important in all of our lives. Because we know that the most valuable asset that all of us have is our time. So we don't want to go to malls anymore. We don't want to go drive 20 minutes to a shopping center with all of these big boxes. We want to just walk down the block, or we want to go downstairs, or we want to order online. Everything now is about convenience. So. You know, retail and development has changed because uh, consumer needs have changed because where they live and work has changed. And then, you know, we can spend hours talking about, uh, you know, my most favorite topic these days, and that's the intersection between e-commerce and bricks and mortar. So I'll wait until you, you want to talk about that. <laughs> One question I have there before we jump into that uh, is pretty much... Are you the pioneer as a developer? Are you, are you predicting the future when these trends are changing? Or are you identifying them as they come? And then um, are other people, are you racing other people to kind of keep up with them? Does that question make sense? It does make sense. Um, and the role as CEO uh, in our company is that I'm supposed to be the visionary. I'm supposed to be ahead of everybody else. I'm supposed to be the guy who is connecting the unconnectable dots. I'm supposed to be the guy who really has so much noise in his head that I'm sitting here and predicting what the future is going to be. And to be honest with you, that's what I'm doing. And I'm doing it not because I'm sitting in my office with my doors closed. It's, it's because I'm out and talking to people and exploring and because of the relationships we have. I mean, I'm, you know, invited uh, to come out to Bentonville uh, often to sit out there and talk with Walmart about what does the future look like for Walmart. And, you know, we've had a 70-year relationship with Kroger, and now we're doing business with Publix and Wawa and Starbucks. And, and it's not just doing business with them. It's truly understanding them and being part of their thought leadership team. So, you know, what's great for me is that I have all this noise in my head coming at me from a lot of different directions, and don't forget academically also, because I talk to my colleagues all over the country who are researching, you know, what's going on in consumerism and retail and e-commerce and logistics and distribution centers. So, you know, my job is to sit there and connect those dots, and where is our world going, where are consumer needs going. And with that, we're anticipating that, getting ahead of that, and we're at the forefront of doing some very interesting developments before other people are thinking about them. And with that, when you're going more towards the city development aspect of it, are you 
um, refurbishing buildings that are already existing and then building on top of them? Or are you guys tearing down and rebuilding? Is there a certain strategy or does it depend every single time you go to a different city? Every project is different. And that's what's fun about the industry and my job. There is nothing that's repeated. But you use all of the tools we've learned, right, at school and at work to really put to use on, on identifying solutions to each new development opportunity. So to answer your question, we are not speculators. We do not buy a piece of land without knowing what to do with it. We do not buy a building without knowing what to do with it. You know, we today are not buying buildings and refurbishing and putting somebody in there. You know, the clients that we work with today, they have, you know, down to a science exactly the building they need to build to put the right merchandise in that is most convenient to the consumer that makes their profit look better than it's ever looked before. So the people we're dealing with, they're not, they're not reusable people. They're not reusable buildings because it doesn't work. If it was built yesterday, it doesn't work for tomorrow. And that's a problem because there's a lot of buildings today that sit vacant because of that. But strategically, one of our challenges in the world that we sit in today is what do we do with those empty buildings? What do we do with those malls that are going empty? And that's what we're thinking about. Not necessarily going into the malls and putting in new tenants, but the malls that are in great locations, we will tear them down. And that's an okay thing because what we're gonna put in their place is mixed use you know development with uh, residential and medical and retail and office and hospitality so again because of the change that's going on in the world that we sit in in terms of retail there is a huge amount of opportunity that exists for for those that can see it yeah and to, and to touch on that change what i want to talk about is something that i think is probably pretty important to one of your main clients kroger is what in the world does Amazon need with a bunch of retail stores and Whole Foods, and how does that affect the change and shift towards e-commerce combining with retail markets? Wow. It's a good question. Going deep on this one. Oh, and it's great because, um, you know, we, we see, and I think a lot of people see Amazon as a disruptor, right? And that's their job. Their job is to think differently uh, about everything that they do. And, you know, Amazon, a lot of people think that, wow, they're this great e-commerce business, but that's just a very small part of where they're thinking and where they're going. So when Amazon does something, like whole, purchasing Whole Foods, people stop and say, hmm, why did they do that? Oh, you know, one group over here says, well, they want to take over the supermarket business. The other group says, well, it's really just you know, they're buying it for a distribution system. And another group says, oh, they hate Kroger and, and this is all about taking Kroger out of business. It's all over the place. But when, you, when you really sit and you study the acquisition by Amazon of Whole Foods, you really have to stop and really think of it in terms of, you know, uh, logistics, retail, e-commerce, um, and, and, and it really boils down to an academic exercise, right? So when something like that happens, I sit there and I take it apart. And then I start asking questions. So our read of it 
is that in today's world, whether you're in the bricks and mortar business, in bricks and mortar in the retail business, or in your in e-commerce, doesn't matter which business you're in, you really have to learn how to get into the other line of, of, of business. So if you're in e-commerce, you have to understand how to be in the, the bricks and mortar showrooming business. And if you're in bricks and mortar, you better learn how to be in e-commerce. So Amazon has recognized that the one real thing that they're lacking is face-to-face -face interaction with their consumer. And they also are realizing that no one has figured out how to distribute and deliver grocery items to consumers to their house, right? You're, you're seeing it in, in the news every single day. Kroger's trying this, Amazon's trying this, Walmart's trying this, Publix is trying this, Costco is doing this. So one of the most interesting and challenging parts of delivery period, and we've heard this over and over, is that last mile, right? Everybody talks about the last mile. The last mile is the most expensive mile of delivering from point A to point B. And in the supermarket business and the grocery delivery business, the cold chain distribution is most difficult. So if you're buying something that needs to stay refrigerated, how long can it be unrefrigerated? So from Amazon's perspective, they looked at Whole Foods truly as a way to get into bricks and mortar truly how they can create these mini distribution centers as close to the consumer as possible, right? And how can they utilize this bricks and mortar store to help promote Amazon and Amazon's products and other people's products that Amazon sells. So when you think about it from a distribution center perspective, you know, Whole Foods has about 800 and some stores. Well, that's not enough small boxes to take care of this country. Why are there only 800 Whole Foods stores? Because the demographic that Whole Foods is looking for to place their stores is a very high-end demographic because Whole Foods is an expensive place. So there's not enough trade areas with high enough demographics for Whole Foods to open enough Whole Foods to truly create a matrix of small distribution centers. But they still need to open up more stores. So the question is, is what is the new Whole Foods store going to look like? Because those stores have to be profitable even though they're, they're going to be set up to be distribution centers. So we believe that that Whole Foods store is going to be dumbed down. And we, we know that Whole Foods has started another store called 365. 365 is their brand. And they've opened you know, several throughout the country. And it's, it's being test marketed. But the 365 brand and the Whole Foods brand is very different. And people see them as very different. So again, they're a disruptor. Everybody stopped and said, oh my gosh, what are they doing? What do we have to do it, it to respond?
but I'm not so sure Whole Foods yet knows what they're going to be doing. I'm not sure that Amazon knows yet what they're going to be doing with Whole Foods completely. But what they've done is that they have accelerated the need from all of the other grocery stores to do something different. So I don't know if you, you read today, um, you know, online, but Kroger, in response to Amazon Go, because Amazon Go has all this great technology that they're still trying to work out, so you never have to go to a cashier. You know, when you take the products off the shelf and you put it in your basket, it automatically goes on your account, and you just walk out the door when you're done and you get billed for it, or you pay for it because you're, you've got your, they've got your credit card. Well, today, Kroger just announced that they have the scanners that you can pick up uh, in the store. And it can also be an app on your phone. So every time you, you put a, a product in your basket, you scan it. And then you can just, guess what? Walk out the door. <laughs> so was Kroger working on that early or were they reacting to what they saw the technology that Amazon Go was using? So really what's happened is because of what Whole, Amazon has done with Whole Foods, it really has accelerated every other grocery chain in the country to compete and to think differently. And because of that, all these other companies are doing much better, which has made even you know, better competition for Whole Foods and Amazon. So it's an interesting story. Yeah. You just took 25% of my corporate strategy class this semester, and you condensed it into 15 minutes. We did a project on exactly this, and it's funny because you just, I mean, elegantly um, laid out all the points that we found. One of the interesting things that we found, that I found interesting, was that you have Walmart responding, now partnering with Google to get that other aspect, like you mentioned, to try to get their e-commerce presence. And then the positioning of the Whole Foods stores overlays like 85% with Amazon's current Prime memberships. So... Just the, the and you think, I guess another part that was confusing when I first went the project, you'd think that because Amazon, you watch them branch in all these customer segments, you think that they can do everything. So why wouldn't they just start doing their own food? But like you mentioned, with that cold distribution, I mean, that's a really hard thing to master. So if they can just acquire it and then grow from there, it well, makes and, so much sense. Well, and also think about, you know, Amazon's effort of, of now delivering to your home uh, you know, there's been all these issues when there's an Amazon box that's out your front, people come and they steal it. Mm -hmm. Well, so Amazon's answer is, well, let us come into your house and we'll put the box in your house. <laughs> you know, how many people are going to feel comfortable with doing that? So there's a lot of things being tried, but the cool thing is there's a lot of things being tried. And for all of us who love technology and love innovation, this is awesome. You know, a lot of people don't like change. I love change. Because guess what change does? Change creates opportunity. And that's what, you know, that's what I'm all about, and that's what our business is all about. You guys are sitting in the middle of all of it. I mean, you have, you're dealing with Kroger, who sells the largest grocery market in the entire United States, and you're dealing with Walmart on the other end, the largest distributor in the world, and then, you know, everything else that you guys got going on. So how does that affect your business moving forward? I mean, what is the... What do the projects you have going on now look like, and what does the future look like? Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, we think a lot about uh, the intersection of bricks and mortar and e-commerce, right? And we're still builders. 
So I can't go out and build a cloud. I have to build a building. So what we make sure of is we choose carefully who we want as our tenants and who we want to build buildings for. So we look for companies with really great thought leadership and truly understanding where the future is going. And we're also looking for categories, merchandise or categories within the retail world that can't easily be satisfied via e-commerce. So, you know, a big push for us right now are convenience stores. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I won't put it past, you know, Amazon, but it's not going to happen too quickly that they're going to deliver gasoline to you where you need it to fill up your car or to, fill, to deliver an electric charge to your car. So we believe convenience stores are you know, going to be here for a while. So we're doing convenience store development really all up and down the East Coast right now uh, you know, for major clients. And you know, also what we're doing in a big way is we're looking at the QSR marketplace, the quick service restaurant marketplace. Again, you know, it's hard to order over Amazon. You can order via Uber or other delivery service to bring those things, but you still need a store to, to or a restaurant to, to work from. So we're working with Taco Bell and Starbucks and Dunkin' Donut and Arby's. And so we have to understand where, the, where our world is going to, and we like to mitigate risk. So the world that we live in today is retail is changing, big shopping centers are out, convenience is in, so we've now focused on what we refer to as single tenant development. Okay? So think of single tenant development and think of convenience. So it's like I'm teaching my class, right? I'm not going to ask you guys questions, I'll answer my own questions, unless you want me to ask you questions. We're ready for a quiz. Okay. <laughs> So in your neighborhood, wherever you live, what, give me a, a, a store type that is convenient and, can, and is considered to be you know, a single unit. One store in one building. Speedway. Okay, Speedway, CVS, you know, Speedway is a convenience store. Right, okay, so, yep. And uh, CVS, uh, we've got, so convenient, I guess Whole Foods wouldn't count in that situation, right, because you've got it, it, it could if it was freestanding, but not in a shopping center. Right. Let it be noted, I did not sign up for the quiz part, so Mike is going to answer. So i got to answer all the questions. Okay. So That's okay. So a single freestanding store, I'm thinking off the top of my head here, I, it's, it's actually a little harder to do than you would think because a lot of them are in shopping centers. Exactly. So from, from our standpoint, we, we build our business on relationships. So I, t I said earlier that we're not speculators. We're, we build relationships. Our company, our development company, you got to think of us as a manufacturing company, not as a real estate development company. And you could better understand us because I'm sure in business school we you talked a lot about, you know, manufacturing companies. So our model today is is to create a relationship with a retailer or a restaurant or a bank, who is growing, and wants to open up multiple stores. So our team and the systems that we have in place work with them to strategize in what markets to locate in and what locations within those markets to open up stores in. And then we go out and find land in those particular areas. We put the land under contract. We then work through entitlements and zoning. Then we create, you know, the right finance package. We build it, we lease it to them, and then there's a store that's sitting there and it's open. 
whether it's a convenience store or a drugstore or a bank, you name it. And then, because we're manufacturers, what, what do manufacturers do once they build a product? They sell it, right? So that's what we do. Because the retail world is changing so drastically, we feel today the best place for us to be as merchant builders and as manufacturers is that you satisfy the client in building the building that they will occupy and run a business in the right location and then you sell it. So we are not long-term holders anymore. Where the original you know, business model of our company is you build it and you hold it because back then the theory was is that real estate will always appreciate. Well in 2009 and 2010 guess what? The bottom fell out. Value went it, it, it down the tubes. So we now are believers that there is so much changing in the world that we live in that we don't want to hold on to things for very long. We'll hold on for, to them for as long as it takes us to build it, the, the tenant occupies it, and then we find a buyer that buys it. So we refer again to ourselves as merchant builders, we're manufacturers, that's our special sauce, and the relationships that we build are long-term and we're very loyal. So it's all about our clients and not necessarily always about our wallets. So what we like to say in our company is we like to hit singles and doubles. A lot of developers like to look for that home run. We don't do home runs. We want to do a lot of quantity and we want to hit singles and doubles and create long-term relationships. So understand, you know, we've been doing business with Kroger for 70 years. CVS, we built over 200 stores for CVS over a 20-year period. You know, so relationships for us are critical because they create sustainable models. And in our business today, which is so much fun having my son Isaac in the business, because if he hadn't come into the business, I'm 63 years old. My wife is a lot younger than me. And at a certain point, in a business that you own, if it's your generation and you're done, you have to start thinking about an exit strategy. So when you're thinking about an exit strategy, it really doesn't allow you to be creative and think about long-term you know, goals and ideas. But when a family member like Isaac comes into the business, we immediately changed our plan from an exit strategy to a succession strategy. So today when somebody says, you know, what's, what's your timeline? I go, it's from here until forever. Because who knows if his kids will be interested or so forth and so on. But what this allows me and my partner, Toby, to do is really to plan and create a system, a systemic system that will last for multiple lifetimes. And I'm having a hoot with it because somebody usually at my age is thinking about you know retirement what am i going to do next but not me i'm just getting a second wind here guys so be careful because there's a lot of things that we're still going to be doing at scope and Glenn. yeah i think that rolls really well into uh, one of the final questions we always like to ask on the show and the theme of conquering columbus is live uncomfortably and not telling you too much about it other than uh, the name uh, 
What does live uncomfortably mean to you and how does it apply to your life? Well, I've lived uncomfortably for uh, probably the last 40 years. And every once in a while, I like to put my feet up and say, hmm, this really feels good. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. But really, my job as a CEO now, you know, living uncomfortably uh, is what I do every single day. Uh, we don't take anything for granted because everything is changing. And we don't live in a world that just exists in Columbus, Ohio. We now live in a world that exists globally. So change is the only thing that is constant. And because of that, my life is always on edge because we don't know what's next. And the world that we live in at Skilkin Gold is a world that we, we, um, we work closely with all of our clients. And our clients have a lot of chaos going on in their world. Because mostly it's, you know, they're retailers today and, and some healthcare providers. So chaos is going on because change is hitting them in a lot of different ways. And most of these companies are public, public companies. So they have to worry a lot about what the public thinks and their shareholders think and Wall Street thinks. So, you know, our job is to help them quiet their chaos, to take their chaos away from them and say, you know, you go put your feet up. We'll take care of the mess. We'll take care of the unanswered questions. We'll take care of, you know, creating the solutions where no one is seeing how to connect those dots. So to be uncomfortable in the world we are today and in my life, it's really about adapting to change but not waiting for change to happen and then react to it. Anticipating the change and being proactive is really where Skilkin Gold is, where I am, and that's why we have heads up on most developers throughout the country that are trying to do what we're trying to do. So, you know, uh, I love this, uh, the whole uh, concept of being uncomfortable, uh, but when you reach my age, every other day I like to be a little bit more comfortable. And the only way you get there is first to be uncomfortable and, and have the proper plans in place. So, you know, I, I, I think, I think it's, uh, it's a good message for all of us. Yeah, and the last question I wanna ask, is there any advice for our listeners out there and to give you some insight? Uh, most of our listeners within five square miles of Columbus and 19 to 35. Um, life is good, guys. Um, uh, you know, what, what you have today um, are a lot of opportunities. And what, what I find most consistent message from the 19 to 35 year olds, boy, life's tough. Nothing's easy. It's hard. You know, it, I should have lived in, you know, in another lifetime. And I, I guess my message is that it is no different than it was you know, 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 80 years ago. Uh, life is what you make of it. And living in Columbus, Ohio today, you know, the opportunities that uh, are here are, are, um, are endless. And uh, what I would say to everybody is you know, look deep and find your passion. And in Columbus, you can, you can find the answers for what you're looking for. Uh, you know, I grew up in Columbus when it was a it was a cow town, and I had to apologize to everybody in the world because you know I lived in Columbus. But now, it is a great place. 
It is forward thinking. We are proud of what we've accomplished here, and you guys are in the best place to take advantage of what people have done before you, but now it's time to really kick some butt and take it to, to the next level, and that's up to you guys. But we're gonna be here as your mentors, and we're gonna be here kicking you in the butt to make sure that you take to Columbus uh, places where it hasn't been before. So, you know, be smart, be passionate, and don't take things personally. Well, Ken, I think that's a great place to wrap up the show. We really appreciate you joining us this evening, though. And Conquerors, that was Ken Gold, CEO of Skilkin Gold. And you guys can check out some more of his information in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.